All right, I ho hope you folks are sitting in your discussion groups. Uh, we're going to have uh, many opportunities to talk with each other during this workshop. Like Richard Nixon. <laughs> That's right. I am not a crook. <laughs> this is just going to become a rave party. <laughs> All right, good? All right, excellent. All right, everybody, hello, welcome. Welcome to uh, our little workshop on consumerism. So, to get us started, I want you to just chat uh, with your group, and here's the question What's the last thing you bought? Go for it quickly. <laughs> Alrighty then, let's come back together. Thank you. Sorry, you have more time to talk later. All good. Um, just to let you know how this workshop is going to happen, uh, there will be plenty of opportunities for you to talk together, but there is going to be a lot of talking from me up front as well. So, just in terms of sitting, like you don't have to face me, but like just for the sake of your neck, maybe you want to adjust the way you sit. Um, Maybe you could even adjust when it's discussion and when it's not discussion. Well, we'll see how it goes. All right, everyone. So let's pray that God would help us as we go through this very important topic. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. But Father, we also do thank you that you help us to understand this world. Father, we pray now that as we seek to understand consumerism, you would open our hearts and minds to receive uh, what we have uh, um, that is occurring in our society. Uh, but more importantly, that we would seek to conform to our Lord Jesus Christ and seek to live as Christians in this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, what do you do with your money? How do you spend it? And what does your spending say about you? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to be thinking about consumerism, as I said. And consumerism is an ism. Okay, so you've heard of individualism, capitalism, atheism. There are many isms in our world. And I'm not going to make the case that consumerism is the only ism that affects us. But I do hope that what we'll see over the next hour or so is that consumerism is a dominant ism in our time. And as Christians who uh, follow God's word and seek to obey it, don't forget what we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which is printed for you. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so as people who do not want to conform to this world, and really it's, it should be conformed to this age, that's really what we're thinking about here. We don't want to be conformed to what our age, our society, our time is doing. We want to do and act uh, in accordance with what it means to be Christians. So that's why we're thinking about consumerism. So on your outline, points one and two will be our attempt to understand consumerism in our age. And then point three will be our seeking to consider what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, so you can see all that there. So here's your first question. Um, sorry if it seems like a, whoa, this is the first question. But here we go. It's basically, as a group, what do you think materialism is? Okay. What do, you think of it, uh, what do you think it is, and can you think of any examples of materialists, fictional or real? Alright, so I'll give you uh, two minutes to have this chat. Go for it. Uh, 20 seconds left. <laughs> Sorry, there's not a test. Alrighty then, let's come back together, please. So, um, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to give me a definition of materialism because I'm going to define it in just a bit and I don't want to, you know, maybe embarrass some of you, but what are some examples of materialists that you came up with? Just shout them out. Kardashians. Uh, the Kardashians, right there. Sorry? Who's that? Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, who else? Roos. Roos? Batman. Oh, Bruce. I thought you said Roos as in James Roos for a second. No, okay. Any others? Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians. Okay. I haven't watched that yet. I might. I might. Cool. Excellent. Well, I mean, I have two examples. One fictional, one real. Um... We've got Scrooge McDuck. Hey, right there. Oh, no. I mean, all right, who knows who this guy is? Thank you. All right, so there's like a third of the room who knows who Scrooge McDuck is, okay? So Scrooge McDuck, 
is um uh, he loves money so much he goes swimming in it right he really likes money um i always used to imagine what it'd be like to swim in money and but after watching harry potter 7 like you realize you die right if all the money fell on you Um and I guess another one that uh, some of you may have thought about is um uh Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump might come across as someone who you think is a materialist, someone who has a lot of money. Did anyone say Donald Trump? No? All right, cool. All good. So here are some examples of, you know, materialists that you might think about. All right, then. So, uh let me talk for a bit. <laughs> I'm just so you know. Uh I'm going to do some talking now. So, what is consumerism? Well, in a short sentence, as with all isms, we can boil it down to I am what I buy. I am what I buy. Consumerism is a philosophical world view that basically sees our identity in terms of our purchases. It sees us as consumers who buy and sell, who uh, consume and produce. It sees our interactions primarily in terms of browsing and shopping, buying and selling. Shopping is no longer just a necessity. Shopping is a leisure activity. You go shopping for fun. You go shopping because it's a good way to hang out. So consider some of the following examples. Uh, for some of us, shopping can be incredibly relaxing. Uh, no matter how your week has gone, no matter how crazy the home is, if you could get to that sale or you could finish your shopping list, you're a happy chappy. Uh, you feel much better about your life. Um, also, if I don't like my identity, I can buy a new wardrobe. I can get a new haircut. This is why shows like Queer Eye is so popular, or The Block, right? Um, the idea here is that if I want to be a new person, I can just replace what I buy, change what I eat, change the way I dress. My identity is seen in the way I use my money. Now, this might sound a lot like materialism. Okay, now what is materialism? Well, materialism does focus a lot on possessions and wealth, but there is a subtle difference. And I have a quote on the screen here, which helps us recognize this difference, and then I'm going to illustrate it. Okay, so here we go. This is a really good quote. What really characterizes consumer culture is not attachment to things, but detachment. People do not hoard money; they spend it. People do not cling to things; they discard them and buy other things. You see, materialism sees possessions as things to be loved and treasured and hoarded. Consumerism sees possessions as things to be used as badges or trophies of your identity, traits of your character. Materialism is an overt attachment to things because you want to accumulate stuff for yourself. Consumerism is detachment from things because they only have value as long as they do something for you. So consider this for uh, example. Uh, a materialist might be someone who buys several outfits and wears them again and again and again and again and again. They always have the same wardrobe. They love their clothing, which is why when one of their favorite sweaters gets a bit ruined, they're ruined. Oh, I love that sweater. You broke my sweater. You ruined my sweater. They're upset, right? Or uh, they they're very upset. They're upset or they're very upset. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, James. <laughs> But think about a consumer. What does a consumer do? A consumer buys several outfits and can't be seen wearing them twice. A consumer is someone who has a whole wardrobe of clothing options but says I have nothing to wear. A consumer is someone who doesn't think on any given night, "Hmm, what shall I wear tonight to keep me warm?" It's more, "What will this outfit say about me? Can I wear this again given who I'm seeing tonight?" Because the clothing isn't so much about the clothing; it's about what the clothing represents. A materialist loves the thing; a consumer uses the thing. That's the key difference. What characterizes consumer culture is detachment from things. They only serve you as long as they do something, and then after uh, you know you're, you're done with it, get rid of it, get something else. Consider children and toys for a moment. I think from a very young age, children are taught to be consumers. Because what does a child do? Well, a child is a materialist. You have to understand that in built inside us is materialism. If a child has a toy, and they really like that toy, they love the toy, they play with the toy, they lick the toy, they sometimes try to swallow the toy. They love the toy, right? 
And then what happens if it breaks? Reality is shattered. My toy is broken, right? Everything comes crashing down. But how do we try to comfort them? Oh, don't worry. I'll buy you another one. You have so many toys. We try to detach them from what they have. We say, don't worry about it so much. Stop loving that thing because I can buy you more things. That's a consumer mindset. If you go back several hundred years, this didn't exist. If you broke your toy, you broke your toy. You weren't getting another toy, right? But now we are inundated with things. It doesn't matter if something breaks. You can buy another one. That is what characterizes consumer culture. Now, let me speak from a personal example. My name is James, and I'm a consumer. When I was in university, I, uh, so I didn't grow up in a Christian family, I went to university, and at my first ANCON, or mid-year conference, I was told, here are the books you should buy. If you want to be a good Christian man, you need to read this book, and this book, and that book, and that book, and that book. And by the end of the year, I'd accumulated a book about 25 books high. Right? It was a stack of 25 books high. And I'll be honest, I got to the end of second year, and I got even more books. How many of them had I read? About 11? Which is pretty good, I've got to say. Like, if, like, I'm just being realistic here, right? <laughs> 11 out of a stack is pretty good. But the books were really markers of identity. I bought them because I thought that's what it meant to be a good Christian. I bought them, but I never read them. I'm James, and I'm a consumer. Because I didn't love the books. If I loved them, I'd read them. Instead, I bought them because I thought that being a good Christian man meant I should buy these books and have them in my library. Even to this day, I struggle with this. So my bookshelf, it's got you know, a few hundred books now, I'd say. Uh, maybe not, not, not like 500, like you know, maybe 200 books or something like that. Um, and I've read about 70% of them, which is good. But there are still so many I have never read. And they're reminders for me that I didn't buy them because I wanted to read them. I bought them because I wanted to embrace what it said about me. I'm James and I'm a <coughs> consumer. But point B... Brands and tribes, here we are. So consumerism establishes a need to subscribe to particular brands because you are so inundated with products and markets and companies that you don't even know what you're meant to buy, right? So a brand becomes where your loyalty lies. A brand becomes how you identify things. Uh, a, a name, a logo, an icon, a, a purchasing company, right? Or, or, or a particular... Uh, shopping outlet. You subscribe to them based on what you like or what you dislike. So, for example, here are some examples of brands. Facebook. McDonald's. Oh, Macca's. <laughs> Apple. Or Kylie Jenner. You see, in a consumer culture, people become brands as well. Because it's not just about what the product does, it's about who's using the product. When Kylie wears something, or does something, maybe to her lips, people follow. Because she is a brand. And you want to be like this person, and so you subscribe to this person. Now, as I said some of those names, you'll notice I paused a bit, and that was very, very deliberate. It's because when you saw the logo, you might have had a flood of emotions, like Facebook. <laughs> I don't have a Facebook account. Facebook is for old people. Snapchat's where it's at. <laughs> or Mac is run, right? Like, that's me. When I see Mac is, my heart rate goes down because I'm happy, right? I'm calmed. I'm soothed. Or maybe you go, I hate Apple. Or maybe you go, I love Apple. Notice how none of these statements say anything about the product itself. You see the brand. You have an emotional reaction. And it might not even be with these brands, right? It might be with something else. So recently... Um, I was at a wedding, and I wore this suit that my auntie bought for me. Now, I've got to say, um, I have never bought a suit this expensive in my life, right? And I still haven't, because my auntie bought it for me. She wanted me to wear it at my wedding. And I was like, no, I have another wedding suit. And she was very upset about that. But we can talk about that another time. But I was wearing this suit, and I'm like, this suit is like several thousand dollars. But it's not even, it's not, it doesn't feel any nicer than my $300 wedding suit. Like, it was really, you know, it, it didn't feel nice. Anyway, so I was oh, walking, 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 and then this guy um, walked past me, and then he looked back. <laughs> <laughs> and so, 
where'd you get that suit from? And I went, how do you know that there's something to do with this suit? Now, I've since found out that people can tell. In a corporate environment, you can tell the brands, the little nuances. When people walk into the room, the brands that they're wearing says something about them. You make a judgment. Perhaps in church setting, when someone comes into the car park with a particular car, oh, sorry, you guys don't have a car park. Right, but you have, you know, streets, right? No, no, no car park. But you have streets, and if someone came to church with a particular brand of a car, you might judge them. No worries, right? You might judge them, because the brand says something about them. You might say, how dare you use so much money on that kind of brand? Or you might say, what kind of person drives that car? Notice, once again, it's about a brand recognition. You're judging them based on the brand. Now, uh, with this in mind, um, that, you know, we, we all subscribe to certain brands. Here's a question for you. Two minutes. What kind of brands or tribes do you think you belong to? Is there somewhere that you only shop and you never shop elsewhere? Or is there some brand that you only buy and you never buy anything else? Everyone, please understand, we are all consumers. Okay? So there is an open admission of every, uh, for all of us here. All right, two minutes. Go for it. Oh, why don't we come back together now? Now, uh, you notice that I, I pitched the question in a very particular way. I said, which brands or tribes do you belong to? Because the truth is that there's another flip side to this, which is there are certain brands and tribes that we would never buy from. And in which case, you are also subscribing to consumerism. For example, you might say, you know what, I'll never buy a Samsung, no matter what. You, can't, you couldn't drag me to buy a Samsung. Or on the flip side, you might say, I'll never buy Apple. So, such, a, such a waste brand. Right? I'll never buy Apple. You're saying no matter what product they put out, even if it's good, you would never buy them because of the brand. Very interesting, right? And I hope my wife doesn't mind me sharing this. Viv's a, she's a Kmart shopper. She loves Kmart, right? It's all good. And she's not ashamed of it either, right? Kmart. She loves Kmart. So no matter what it might be for you, and I also want to say there is an Asian perspective on this that we're going to come to a bit later. So hold that thought. You might say, ah, this doesn't really relate to me. Hold that thought. Okay? But in any case, let me just move on to part C here. Abstraction and commodification, which are, you know, big, big words. Oh, sorry, uh, one quick thing about brands and tribes that we need to say. So one of the attitudes that we have towards brands is that you may be loyal to a brand, but as soon as they burn you, you cut and you run. And you will never look back. And you might fight and, you know, take them out or write a message or, or a tweet on social media and try to break them down. And you tell everyone, never buy from them. I had this bad experience. So you notice how sometimes you might... Think about this for a second. You might go to a restaurant, right? And just one time you had a hair in the food. And then you tell people, never go to that restaurant. That restaurant is dead to me, right? Because what happens is that you've had one bad experience and now the brand is forever ruined. Yeah? Loyalty is only as tenuous as the last time they did something good for us. That's what we have in a consumer culture. Now, let's think about abstraction and commodification. These are big words, but they're very simple meanings, okay? Think of it this way. We are so inundated with products. There are so many brands, there are so many different things for us to consider that the effect is paralysis. Okay? Now, I actually got my slides in the wrong order, but this is what I wanted to show. This is what a typical supermarket feels like, right? Now, I remember when I first started going grocery shopping with Viv, Viv's like, I know what I'm looking for. Whereas when I went in, I'd be like, what is happening here? There are like six different types of oats or something. Like five different types of sugar? Like I have no idea what the difference is between these things, right? And the only way that we can survive in this kind of culture is to abstract ourselves from the stories behind the product. You see, if you went... Now, what does this mean? If you went back like 100 years or 200 years, where would you buy food? You'd go down to the local store, the local grocer. And the farmer might be there. Right? The one who grew it, fertilized it, whatever, they might have been there. And so what would happen is you would have a connection with where this product came from. But now, we don't care. We don't care where the food came from. It's why this drought crisis for a lot of Australians is meaningless. We just have the food. We don't care where it came from. Or think about your clothing for a second. I don't care where the clothing came from. I don't care if the workers were paid well. I don't care 
if the um, employees are being taken care of. What matters to me is the product. Does it work? That's abstraction. I don't care about the story, I just care about the product. And what this produces in us is ignorance. Many of us are very ignorant to how our uh, brands, our companies, are actually treating people. In fact, for a lot of companies, advertising, which we'll get to in just a moment, is about hiding. It's about hiding how their company is treating their workers. But in a supermarket culture or a consumer culture, this is the only way we can make sense of things. But at the same time, everything now is commodified. There is almost nothing that money can't solve, right? That's what commodification is. It's that everything can have a value. Did you know that there are apps that allow you to rent out your driveway? Might make a quick buck that way, right? Because if you're working, right, you're not using your driveway. So you can rent out your driveway. How about the fact that people sell their organs online for money? Well, this story, in 2018, a UK student sold her virginity to an actor for $1.9 million. She said it was an experience that only the highest price could pay for. These things aren't even that strange in our world anymore. Everything can be sold. Think about how many, well, let me put it this way. My family helps a lot of people from China come to Australia. And when these people come with kids and they're not doing well at school, every year... Could we pay the teacher? Could we pay just to get a, you know, a bit nicer uh, in the marking? Uh, them to be a bit more lenient? No, you cannot do that in Australia. Right? You can't do that. But, of course, this is expected in a consumer culture. What can't money solve? This is why money is so powerful. Money represents power. Money represents our ability to participate in the world. Money is how we abstract and commodify products. Money is how we show that we are worth anything. So at this point, let me ask you, uh, we've, we've finished point one, but let me ask, do you have any questions? So this isn't a discussion question. It's just one where I'm going to ask you, is there anything you want to ask right now before we keep going? Yes, please. Do you be both consumerism and materialism at the same time? Absolutely. I think that a lot of us are many-isms, right? So it's not like we're just one thing or another thing. I think that, for example, just random example, you could be an atheistic, materialistic, consumeristic bigot. There you go. Right, let's put that there. <laughs> you can be many things, right? You could be many things. Uh, you could be a Christian, Asian... Uh, you know, somewhat second-generation Western value, you know, ABC, right? I'm, I'm using a lot of descriptions here. Consumerism is one ism, and yes, certainly, I think that it interacts with a lot of different things. In fact, I think consumerism in China or Hong Kong is very different from consumerism, shall we say, in South Africa. Because definitely, if you look at South Africa, for example, um, South Africa... Um, where even in countries where there is a lot of poverty, everyone has a smartphone. It's one of those in incredible things, right? Uh, and so the reason why is because they will save all this stuff for a phone because if they don't have a phone, they have nothing. They might not have a toothbrush, but they'll buy a phone. But that's one way that consumerism there is shown because that's, that purchase says something about them, whereas in China and Hong Kong, oh, it might be different. Right? So yes, consumerism interacts with other isms. Any other questions? Okay, we'll just hold on to them, maybe write them down, and then we'll see how we go. All right, here we are. Point two, consumer culture and desire. All right, so one of the things that you need to understand is that every ism plays on some desire, okay? And so when we think about consumerism, what is the desire that is behind it? Well, it's actually about satisfaction and relevance. These are the two things that drive consumerism. So, let me give you an example. Um, in consumerism, you are always being told that there is something better. There is always something better. You want to shave your legs? Here is the best shaver. It's got seven blades now instead of two. Right? Right? Yeah, yeah, come on, Pete, right? <laughs> oh, you want to cook your food? Well, let me give you a 30-minute infomercial on why you need this product. Right? 
Oh, you want a phone? Well, I know you got last year's phone, but there's a new phone this year, right? You don't want the old phone. You want the new phone because the new phone has better features. It's always about dissatisfaction. Consumer culture is primed on saying that you do not have enough. You never have enough. Now, I want to be clear. In a capitalist economy, it's very important for people to keep buying. That's good. We need purchasing. We need buying. But consumerism takes it to the next level. It takes it to a level where we have even more than what we need. So, think about this. Oh, you've moved into a bigger house. Well, it's time to upgrade now. Time to buy a new sofa. You need another bed for that room. You need uh, to fill this, uh, this wall with some pictures. You need to fill the space, right? It's probably time you bought a new television. Or you've had that laptop for two years now. Technology moves so fast these days. It's probably slow now, probably lags when you open Google Chrome. You should buy a new laptop. Hey, you've had the same bathroom since you moved into that place. You should renovate. What is all of this saying? It says nothing about whether or not the product is still able to work. Maybe it might not be as efficient, but it's saying you need something else. And so consumerism preys, and I'm using this word very deliberately, it preys on dissatisfaction. It breeds envy. It breeds envy. And one of the chief ways that we see this is in technology. Technology is consistently updated using words like advanced and evolution. In short, they're saying that if you want to stay relevant, you need to buy the latest product. And I think no one does this better than Apple. So let's watch this next video. What's happening with my slides? I think my slides are out of order. Now this is my fault, not you guys' fault. On Thursday, I watched the latest iPhone reveal. It's the same guy, and he's come up with new synonyms, right? It's, it's incredible. I, I should have updated the video, right? It's, I couldn't believe it. Like, you should go watch it, the, the new iPhone reveal. It's the same guy. He's been doing this for 10 years. He's got a thesaurus next to his desk, I tell you, right? He's always thinking about what the new thing is or the new way to say it. But what's the idea here? Old is bad, new is better. If you don't buy the latest thing, you are irrelevant. You are outdated. You are not following deliberate evolution. You are irrelevant. And so what this does for us, and we're going to apply this to Christianity in a bit, is it means that all of us are inundated every day with messages that you do not have enough. You never have enough. And... You better keep up with the markets and the products, because if not, you're a relic of the age. You're an outcast. You're old. And this brings us to advertising. Puppy. See, advertising is the evangelism of consumerism. 
It's the way that people are motivated to increase their consumption and choose brands. On any given day, depending on where you live in Australia, you might see 2,000 to 10,000 advertisements. If you just open Facebook, right? Don't do it now, but if you open Facebook and you scroll for one minute, you'll probably see at least five ads. It's just inbuilt into what we do. Of course, at a camp, we'll probably see less, right? But how does advertising work? Well, advertising works in two ways. Advertising works in two ways. It's through seduction and misdirection. Seduction and misdirection. Now, seduction, what advertising does, it, fir it first lures your attention in by appealing to some positive emotion or desire. It could be as simple as sale, or it could be some kind of an image, like a warm, loving family. I was driving in Epping, because um, I work in Epping, and there was, a, there was a sign on top of the bridge, and I looked at it. And it was this family, and they were sitting down to have a meal, and they were smiling. I was like, whoa, what is that ad about? And I looked at the side, Steggles, the chicken brand. I was like, I can't even see the chicken in this billboard, right? But it's, it seduced my attention. I was like, oh, fat, oh, like Steggles, right? And then, misdirection. Misdirection is when, after they've lured you in, you're pointed to a brand or a product that they want you to associate with that positive emotion or desire. This is how marketing works, okay? Seduction, lure you in, misdirection, point you to a brand or a product. And I think that there are two examples I have here that demonstrate this pretty well. If you don't know what that last thing is, it's saying, buy your mum an opportunity to gamble. <laughs> what does sending letters to the mentors of the Socceroos have to do with Hyundai? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. It has said nothing, they've said nothing about their latest car, maybe about the new safety model, maybe, maybe if there's a sale. Nope. Isn't it lovely to see a mentor being appreciated? Isn't that warm and fuzzy? Bam! Hyundai, right? <laughs> Oh, what does a mother have to do with scratchies? Nothing. Oh, don't you love your mother? Buy her a scratchy, right? It's seduction and misdirection. And the advertising industry knows how to get your attention. They're so good at it. They know how to seduce you by appealing to some itch or desire or aspect of your identity that you'd like to associate with or that you'd like to fix. And then here's the answer. Pay some money. Buy our product. Some advertisements are more overt than others, but if you keep this in mind, then you'll realize that we are constantly being bombarded with evangelism. See, this is the evangelism of consumerism. Every single day, you are evangelized anywhere from 2,000 to 10,000 times. And for a brand to gain recognition, a study a few years ago said that you need to see a brand at least 16 times, and then it will stay in your head. Is it any wonder that we find Christian evangelism hard? How often have you shared the gospel with your non-Christian friend or family member? Has it been 16 times? Because the truth is, they're not neutral. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you are not neutral. You are constantly being evangelized to. And the question is, where is your allegiance? Which brand have you bought into? Now, with this in mind... I think what I want to, I think I had this question here. Okay, so 
Here's a question for you. How much of an impact do you think at this point consumerism has on you and those around you? But actually, um, I'm thinking, I think I might just change the order slightly. I might do part C, and then we'll do this discussion question, okay? I'll do part C, then we'll do this, and I'll give you about four minutes to discuss this, okay? So let's just come to the last part in point two here, sales and discounts. So at this point, you might be saying, all right, James, thank you, good, sure, that's someone else's problem. But I don't have that problem, because I don't buy that much. I'm a bargain hunter. <laughs> I'm always looking for the cheap prices on Oz Bargain. I don't ever shop with an in-person price. I only buy slashed prices. Well, if that's the case, can I say that you are also a consumer because you define yourself by your purchases, specifically by being a bargain hunter. Um, personal example, um, I have a PlayStation 4 and I enjoy playing games on it. Every three or four months, there's a sale on the PlayStation Store. And so I go into the PlayStation store and I go, ooh, what, what game is there now, right? And I go, oh, this game was, normal, was normally $80, but now it's $30. I should buy this game because I'm saving $50. No, I'm not. <laughs> Everyone, let me, make, let me make this very clear to you, right? If you weren't going to buy the thing originally, <laughs> and now because of a sale, you buy it, you haven't saved $50, you've lost $30, right? <laughs> Because that's how sales work. <laughs> sales are not about making things good for you. It's about bringing profit to a company. Why on earth would they do a sale unless it was to get rid of old stock or make a profit? Sales are designed to lure you in. And when you see a sale or you see discounts, there's always a reason behind it. There's always something that lies behind it. See, those of us who pride ourselves on never buying things full price and judge those who buy things full price, we are consumers as well. Because we judge people and their identity on the basis of their purchasing. We see people in terms of their consumer interactions rather than who they are in Christ. We may feel righteous because we think we are saving money, but in reality we're just buying into another form of consumerism where we see each other based on money. And we feel like a failure if we miss the discount. And so with this in mind now, let's have this discussion. How much of an impact do you think consumerism has on you and on those around you? I'll give you four minutes to have this chat. <laughs> um, everyone, can we just come back together quickly? Um, I actually do have another discussion question for you. So... I'll just say a few things, and then I'll give you the next discussion question. I hope you see that consumerism is a real, present reality, and for some of us, it hits more close to home than for others. And that's okay, right? Like, if I was doing a talk on individualism, it would apply more to some of you than others. Consumerism, it would apply more to some of you than others. But I hope you realize that for most of us, I would, I'm just going to guess here, we haven't heard about this before. Maybe we've heard about materialism, but we haven't explicitly heard about consumerism before. And there's a lot that we could say about it from the perspective on how it's impacted the environment and how it's affected global poverty. But I want to focus on three particular parts, identity, faithfulness, and generosity. And so here's a discussion for you guys as well. And I'm only going to give you a minute and a half for this because of time. And I'll send you guys off to do some orderlies, in, uh, those who do have orderlies, in a bit when I have 10 minutes to go, okay? So uh, here's the question on the screen. How do you think consumerism affects self-identity as Christians? Uh, so based on what you've heard and what you see, and maybe think about your own life and some examples you've seen as well. Go for it. <laughs> All right, can we come back together, please? So, <clears throat> consumerism, uh, I'd be really interested to know how you guys were going in your conversations, but... Consumerism buys into the notion that we can make judgments about people or even judgments about ourselves that are more definitive than God's judgment of us. Because you see, consumerism sees our notions of identity as being based on buying things. If we want to be a respectable, rational, reasonable individual, you need to participate in consuming. If you don't, you're weird. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. You don't understand the wisdom of our time. And I would argue, I'm going to argue this, um, sorry, I would argue, I'm not going to do it right now, but I would argue that consumerism is the religion 
of much of Sydney. Why is it that so many people delay getting married? Is it because I can't get married until I can buy a house or a car? And I've, you know, all of, uh, both me and my girlfriend, boyfriend have graduated from university. This is why people can date for so many years and never get married. Submitting to sin and temptation in that time because of consumerism. Because I can't possibly get married until I have enough money to buy these things that show that I'm a responsible individual. Why is it that people feel the need all the time to eat out when they go with their friends to lunch? If I don't buy food, if I bring food, I'm, I'm looking really daggy. I'm weird. These are all consumer things, right? But for Christians, we know that we are justified before God. Justification is the cure to consumerism when it comes to identity. You see, what do we see in the Lord Jesus Christ? In Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, if we want to understand how we as Christians can counter consumer culture, we need to care more about how God sees our identity than how other people see us or how we even see ourselves. We take the good things that God gives us and we say, that's what defines me now. This phone defines me. Right? This car defines me. I never buy uni textbooks new. That defines me. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. I'm not saying, by the way, you have to buy uni textbooks new. But here's the point. Your identity is not bound up in your purchasing decisions. That's very important to get. And also, as a community, this is, why, this is what we need to be really careful of. We shouldn't judge people based on their purchasing decisions, especially if you're not a close friend of them and can ask, why did you buy that? Or why are you spending on that? This is why we don't make judgments without being close in community with people. As a community, do you judge people based on what they buy? You might be con uh, contributing to this problem as well. But the truth is, in Christ, Jesus has given us a new identity. One that he died and was raised to life for. He bore the wrath of God so that you would be judged as righteous. That is your status. Righteous. Forgiven. Redeemed. Adopted. Showered and sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is who you are. And if you're here this afternoon and you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, then let me ask you, aren't you tired? And even Christians here, aren't you tired of having your identity questioned all the time? About waking up one morning and not knowing if your identity is outdated. In Christ, we can say enough. I am secure. I do not need money to define who I am. And some of us here need to consider whether we really need to spend money on non-essentials. How much money are you spending on things that you don't need to be spending money on? Now, leisure is fun. Leisure is good. Leisure is good things, right? But do you really need to spend as much as you do on certain things? Movies you'll never watch. Games you'll never play. Songs that you could probably get through a streaming service. Do you pirate? Say, I never buy things. If you're a pirate, you're also a consumer as well. A sinful consumer who's stealing. Piracy is a response to consumer culture that says, I still want the product, I just don't need to give you the money. It's stealing. But B, faithfulness versus innovation. Now, uh, just because of time, I think I will uh, just um, go a bit more briskly through. And also, if you do have orderlies for lunch, perhaps you should go now because we'll be done in about 10 minutes, okay? But here we go. 
Poppy, <clears throat> faithfulness versus innovation. And so the question I was going to ask you is, how does consumerism impact our attitude towards Christian teaching and ministry practice? Now, uh, this one, um, I'm actually a bit, this, I'll be honest, this is the most nervous thing uh, all weekend that I'm probably going to say, all right? Just because I don't want any of you to feel like I'm targeting you, okay? Um, uh, given the conversations we've had. I'm just a bit nervous about this because of the fact that we've had a bit of a discussion about you guys, and I've gone to know some of you, okay? So, here we go. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17. This is what Paul writes. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to, oh, excuse me, which are able to make you wise um, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In a culture that prides itself on relevance and always being updated and always being satisfied that way, Christians are an anomaly. We are a big book club that seeks to understand God's word and live it out. What's the one thing that people ask you when you get back from a camp or a conference? Number one, how was it? Number two, what did you learn? And if you don't have some gobsmacking, whiz-bang answer, you feel paralyzed. What do I say? What did I learn? I don't know what I learned, right? Oh, that, that MIC wasn't as good as my first year's one. That one blew my brain. This year's one, eh, I knew it all already. What does that attitude say about us? That we look at the truth of God and say, yeah, I know it already. You guys are less than 30 years old. How on earth would you know everything already? Uh, me as well, I'm less than 30 years old, right? But more importantly, why do we feel bored at the truth of God if we know it already? Paul told Timothy to continue in what he has learned. You don't need to always be learning something new. You don't need a new teaching, a new doctrine, a new ministry practice, a new model, a new worship, a new band, a new position at church. Some of you will faithfully serve for many years on PowerPoint, and that is a tremendous blessing to church. You do not need to be promoted. More on this tomorrow. Consumer culture infects the church, and it means that some of us feel like service is a drag, and we get burnt out, and we feel discouraged when we're not chosen for a particular position that we think we should do to show that we are mature now. Because if I'm mature, that means I'll get that job or that position. Faithfulness is what we care about, not innovation. Bigger is not always better. What does it communicate to our culture when we as Christians are always excited about new things and put down the old things? What does it say when we are always on about with other Christians, oh, I've been learning this and this and this, and I'm reading this book because of this and this and this, and make other people feel, oh, I'm not learning as much. Oh, I knew that already. Oh, maybe I shouldn't stay at this church anymore because the preaching is getting dry to me because I know everything Pete has to say. I've heard it all before. Christianity will die if we always try to innovate. Innovation is not what Christians are on about. Faithfulness to the apostolic word that was given to us 2,000 years ago is what we are on about. If you go to a church and they say, we have a new doctrine about something, run. They're a cult. They're a cult. And from a financial perspective, if we avoid always buying the newest product or always renovating something, consider how much money you would have to be able to give to God's people if you didn't have to buy the latest thing. How many, how many blessings could you give to your brothers and sisters in Christ? That brings me to the final point, part C, generosity. And the discussion question was going to be, how does consumerism affect our generosity as Christians? But I think it's obvious at this point. Consumerism affects our generosity because if we don't... Well, sorry, let me go the other way. If you always buying things, you won't have any money to give. But I actually want to go back to last night. I want to go back to last night for a second. Because in a consumer culture, you are taught if a brand fails you, cut and run. And never look back. And that affects our relationships. If someone hurts you, 
cut and run because they're not worth the attention or the messiness or the prayer. In a consumer culture, we are no longer generous with grace because we are taught that as long as people are doing something for you, they deserve your time. If they're not doing anything for you anymore, they don't deserve your time. That's a consumer mindset. But also, in our giving, in our, in our consumerism and our generosity, do you sometimes wonder, what will supporting this ministry say about me and my identity? When you give to something, you know, do you go, oh, just gave to this thing, love supporting this, right? Or if someone asks you for some money, do you go, hmm, no, they're not going to do anything for me, so I'm not going to give money to them. Aren't we seeing people and giving just as another brand or tribe or identity marker? Generosity is meant to be selfless, not thinking about yourself, not thinking about what you can get out of it, but serving others so that you could draw near to them. Tomorrow we will speak about the relationship between consumerism and Christian service, but that's for tomorrow. Let me conclude. Remember Jesus Christ. He who was rich became poor for us. He who had all the status and power and relationship with the Father who could see his face emptied himself that we would become rich. This is the heart of Christian generosity. It's the heart of giving. And we need to remember it because if we remember it, we will be assured of our identity. We can give mercy instead of demanding justice. And we can give money to our families, our local churches, Christians everywhere, the poor, the fatherless, the helpless, the widows, and we can enjoy God's good creation. This is the last thing we're going to say today. So I want to say this, right? Because we've only got another day, if you think about it. Weekends away are always like 45, 40, 44 hour affairs, right? For the rest of the day, I want to implore you to prayerfully consider how are you going to give your life to God? It starts with generosity, with grace and forgiveness. No material thing there. It goes to money and what you do with your work. There is a material thing there. And tomorrow, I'm going to implore you to give your whole life in service to God as well. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have made us rich in Christ. You've given us your son, Jesus, and we have been justified in him. We thank you so much that we don't have to work for our identity, but your son has done all the work necessary. And we pray that we would not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may discern your perfect, pleasing, and, per, uh, and um, amazing will. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.